0: you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to take it out and turn with me to Matthew chapter 21, Matthew chapter 21 in the precious word of God this morning. And uh, it's been a beautiful week. Amen. Got a little bit of rain on Thursday, a little bit on Friday, but uh, man, I'll tell you, I'll take rain at uh, 50, 55 degrees, 60 degrees. That's amazing. As we sit here in the month of March and uh, a lot of things coming together over in the sanctuary and uh, and so I'm thankful for that I would ask you to do me one favor if you would um, today if you would keep uh, mrs. Reed in prayer this is Donna Suffins mom where's Donna uh, she I saw, Donna's back here her dear mom is in the hospital and doctors are trying to figure out what's going on and so if you just think about that today just pray for Miss Reed I know that Donna and Stan and the entire family would appreciate that and Pray for the doctors that uh, they would have wisdom to discern what is going on at this time with her health, and she's there at Fall Care Hospital, and so, uh, man, it's good to see you. It's it's good to see some of you that I haven't seen in a while, and so uh, let's jump right into our text, Matthew chapter 21, going to talk to you about cleansing the temple today, and uh, this is a little bit forward of Jesus making his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, but uh Hopefully, uh, the Lord will bless our time in His Word. Let's look at what the Bible has to say, beginning in verse number 12. The Bible says, "...And Jesus went into the temple of God, and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves." And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna, the Son of David, they were sore displeased. And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea. In other words, he said, Yeah, I hear what they say. He says, Yea. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we were able to sing songs of praise and worship to you. God, I'm thankful that we're reminded that the blood will never lose its power. Lord, I'm thankful for the blood that covers the sins of each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that You will meet with us as we look at Your Word. God, I pray that Your Spirit will move among us. and God, that You will draw us to the foot of the cross. Where maybe there's some here or somebody watching online that has never placed their faith in the risen Savior of the world. God, I pray that that would be abundantly clear today and that they would make that decision. You would impart that desire into their life today. Lord, I pray for those who would call themselves Christ followers, those who are believers. God, I pray that You would work in our hearts as well. God, that You would remind us of Your goodness and our need on this very day. Lord, we thank You for the day that You have made. We're grateful to be in Your house and to worship You. And Lord, I pray that You'll bless now these Next few moments of time as we see what you have to say to your church. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it all. We ask it in the precious name, in the most powerful name of our Lord and Savior and for His sake. Amen. And the church of God said, Amen. Well, I got one Amen today. And uh, that's what we're looking forward to doing. Look here, if you look back with me to chapter 20, I think we could see some things as we ramp up to chapter 21 Back in verse number 17, if we were to look back, you find that beginning in verse number 17, Jesus, he begins to predict his betrayal, his arrest, his death, his ultimate burial and his resurrection to his disciples. And then immediately after he does that, you read on in Matthew chapter 20 and uh, the mother of James and John, they come to Jesus with this unrealistic request. They, she, you know, she's like every mom, she wants the best for her kids and She wants her boys to sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus. And so he deals with that. The other disciples get angry. And um, after leaving Jericho, he's he's leaving Jericho. And on the way, he stops and he heals a couple of blind guys. And then in Matthew chapter 21, the Bible begins by telling us that Jesus is making his way towards the city of Jerusalem. And uh, Scripture reveals that multitudes of people are following. Multitudes of people are in front. And if you look at verse number 9, the Bible says in verse number 9 that the multitudes, they were crying. They cried saying, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So what you got to understand right away is these people are not crying out in sadness. These people are crying because they are super excited about what's taking place. There's a throng of people in front of Jesus. And then you've got Jesus, and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week. And then you've got a throng of people behind Jesus. And as they're going, they're making all kind of noise. They're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And on and on. And I don't know about you, but I can only, I can only imagine the excitement. Can you imagine it? If you close your mind's eye and you think back on that time, Jesus had uh, coming to the uh, closure of his three-year ministry of healing people and doing all types of teaching and whatnot, and the people were excited for him coming into Jerusalem, and they're screaming and they're they're quite honestly they're proclaiming that he's the Messiah. When they say this word Hosanna, the word Hosanna here in chapter 21 and verse 9 is a Hebrew word. It's taken from two different words and it actually comes together and it signifies this message that you find in Psalm 118. I'd encourage you, mark it in your mind. Go to Psalm 118 and look at verses 23, 24, 25 right there in that passage. But this is what it's signifying, what is said back in Psalm 118 and the idea of save now. Save us now, Lord. Save us now. We beseech you, save us now. That's what they're shouting out when they're proclaiming Hosanna. And Again, I can't even begin to imagine the excitement of the people in that moment. And if you think, it's just a few short days that many of those people who were shouting Hosanna are the same ones who here in a couple weeks will be reminded they were the ones shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Oh, my friends, what a Savior we serve. And if you look in our text, Jesus doesn't make His way up to the court. He doesn't go up to the palace. He heads to the temple. This is the first place he goes, as we're told here in Scripture. He makes his way to the temple, and I'm sure that his disciples, as I look at the text, I'm sure that all these people, that his disciples, they would have been real pleased. They would have been really happy if Jesus would have just gone in and set up his earthly kingdom right then and there. They would have been like, oh, yes, look at Jesus, squashing the Romans, setting us up as a Jewish people. Look at what he's doing. But that wasn't God's plan. That was man's plan. Jesus goes to the temple. Let me just say this. He goes to the temple because, my friends, Jesus' kingdom was. Jesus' kingdom is. Jesus' kingdom always will be spiritual. We ought to be saying amen. It's always spiritual. If it wasn't a spiritual kingdom, you and I would be most miserable today. And so Jesus goes to the most important place of the time, to exercise His divine authority. He's going to go and He's going to set things straight in the temple. And looking back in our passage in verse number 12, the Bible tells us that Jesus went into the temple and He cast out all the salesmen. He cast out all the accountants. He cast out... What? I joked with my wife. I said, Jesus got rid of all the money changers. He got rid of the accountants and all the financial executives and all the salesmen. I'm just joking. You're saying, I'm in sales. Did He cast me out? No, I'm just joking. The Bible says he went in and he cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. He he overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Essentially, what Jesus did, can you imagine it? Jesus goes in, and I don't know, you can can figure out. Do you think he just said, get out of here? (laughs) For those who are online, you can hear, but Linda said, I don't think so. I think he probably was a little more forceful, don't you? See, he went in and he saw those that were being ruled by their selfishness and their sinfulness. And I believe it probably went something like this. Get out! Get out of this place! This is my temple and my house shall be called a house of prayer. And I'm guessing since it says he overthrew the tables, I'm guessing it probably wasn't something like this. I'm guessing he probably went. <laughs> Guys, Jesus is very serious about cleansing the temple. He says, "Have you he he references what the prophet Isaiah said, In Isaiah chapter 56 and verse number 7, he says, have you not heard that my house shall be called a house of prayer? But sadly, during this time, many of the religious leaders and people of that day, they were using the temple, they were using the Jewish, and I'm going to put air quotes around it, they were using the Jewish religion to hide their own sinfulness. And this morning, as lovingly as I can, I want to remind each and every one of us, the question for us is still today, on March the 21st, 2021, is still today a question concerning the temple. You see, just as Jesus did back then, as you and I approach next Sunday, Palm Sunday, and the choir is going to do a a special for us, and then as we approach Resurrection Sunday, I just believe that we would all be wise. I believe that we would all be wise to rid ourselves of anything that doesn't belong in the temple and to do that I'm going to be really transparent to do that we have to we have to honestly evaluate individually we have to honestly evaluate where we are and how we are doing spiritually and not sit there in, on our on our lofty uh Uh, seats and be like "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that one that one I heard her gossiping I heard him doing this I heard he treats his wife ugly I heard his wife treats him ugly I heard the kids are disobedient I heard those kids are this and that and the other we got to quit looking at everyone else and ask God some honest questions of our own selves you see some questions like this I put some questions together that we might ask ourselves and here they are for your consideration Lord where am I Where am I spiritually right now? How's my daily walk with the Lord? How's your daily walk with the Lord? Am I struggling with something selfish or sinful? Or or am I truly experiencing God's superabundant, supernatural power in my life? And I pray that's your situation. But the overall averages are that It's probably not the case with most people today. And so we have to ask ourselves the questions. I think about over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, after reminding the church of Corinth that they had been washed and they had been sanctified and that they had been justified in the name of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit of God, it's the Apostle Paul who begins to teach them in verse number 12 of that passage. He begins to teach them about the proper use of their bodies. Now we understand contextually when you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is actually revisiting a topic that he had taught, uh, that he was correcting that church in, uh, chapter 5, regarding sexual immorality. But I want us to see some. I'm going to read a couple of verses. But I want us to see and understand a couple of things that God's word actually is providing for us a greater truth in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And I believe that God provides each and every one of us with a reminder and also a principle from his word to follow. Notice what the Bible says. In fact, I'm going to flip over there in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In First Corinthians chapter 6, the Bible says this in verse number 19. And 20. Paul writes this. He says, what? Know you not? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? And he says this. He says, and you're not your own. He says, your body, the temple of the Holy Ghost, which was given to you by God, is in you. And guess what? It's not your own. It was a gift that was given to you. Now, notice what he says here. He says, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, he says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, Paul's use of the word temple here to describe the Holy Spirit's dwelling place is unique. You see, by doing this, what the Apostle Paul is actually doing is he's sharing the message that our bodies... Watch this. Our bodies is the shrine. It's the sacred place, if you please, where not only the Holy Spirit resides. It's not only the sacred place where the Holy Spirit resides, but it's the place where God is worshipped. It's the place where God is to be revered. It's the place to where God is to be honored. This temple of the Holy Ghost, which we have, which was given to us, by God. And if we were to look back, the temple was to be a place that was set apart for the express purpose of worshiping God. All of its instruments, by the way, instruments, we'll see this here in just a second. The word instruments, when I refer to the word instruments, it means utensil or tool. Uh, anybody here have a bunch of cooking utensils? Uh, this is what I think about when I see this word utensil. What type of tool? Are we? Are we a tool that brings God honor and glory? Are we a utensil that is bringing Him disgrace and dishonor? And so that's what he's talking about. It says all of his instruments of the temple, if you think back, were purified and dedicated completely for the use of glorifying God. If you look back in the Old Testament, the temple was also the location where the glory and the presence of God was revealed. So if I understand this correctly, uh, what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I believe that I do, Paul was actually saying what we think, what we say, what we do, along with everything else that we let into the temple. Watch this. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in us. So everything that we let in the temple through the eye gate. Everything that we let in the temple through the ear gate. Right? These things are important. Everything that enters in and goes in and out of this mouth, it's extremely important to God. And so, I look back in Scripture and I say, okay, what can I learn from this in the picture of Jesus going into the temple and he was so moved that his temple, dedicated for uh, the express purpose of worshiping God, everything in the temple was an instrument that was to be purified and dedicated to glorifying God and everything in the temple, its location was set to glorify and praise God in the worship of God. So what can I learn from this? Well, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says this in verse number 17. He says, if any man defile, if any man defile, that word defile means to spoil, ruin, or destroy. He says, if any man defile the temple of God, i.e. a real Christian, that's the reference there, the temple of God, a real Christian, him shall God destroy for what? The temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And we know from Peter's, writing in 1 Peter 1, that we're to be holy as He is holy. And so I ask myself these questions, these hard questions of cleansing the temple in the here and now, not in the then and there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'll not read the whole passage, but Paul puts it this way in verses 16 and following by asking this question. He says, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Now just stop and think about that. What agreement does the temple of God have with idols in 2021? It should have absolutely no agreement with idols, amen? Do we see any idols in 2021? Are there any idols that we need to be aware of or be cautious of? Notice he says, in what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. And as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, before we move on, I want to say something. If you're here in person or you're watching online, If you're here in person or you're watching in line and you're not a believer at this point, first of all, I want to tell you thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for even coming to Battlefield. Thank you for turning on the the live stream and joining with us. I want to say thank you, but I also want you to know that God's love and God's power is available to you today. You're not a believer today? I got some great news. God loves you and His power is available to you right here and now. He loves you so much. He wants you to be saved. In fact, it was Jesus Christ Himself who said these words in John 3, 16, that iconic verse of Scripture, when He reminds us all that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. How ironic Jesus is talking about, He gave me. He says, God so loved the world that he gave me that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, my friends, I'd say that's a pretty good deal. Now, what's real good about it is the very next to last word in that verse. You see it? It says everlasting. You know, we trust Merriam-Webster, don't we? Do we trust the Merriam-Webster dictionary? Oh, sure we do. We've been doing it for centuries. Merriam-Webster. Here's what they say about this word everlasting. They say everlasting means a lasting or enduring through all time. Colon eternity, eternal. Hey, it's a pretty good deal. When Jesus says that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know what Jesus says? He says, "All you got to do is believe." That's pretty simple. You've never trusted Christ today? Can I encourage you? Trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Jesus said, all you have to believe, and I love, you're going to see here over the next couple of verses, I want to show you something. Notice the word right there in the middle of John 3.16 on the screen. Can we put that back on the screen? You see it right there? This word is so incredibly important. Whosoever. I'll say it again here in a minute, but whosoever actually means whosoever. Man, that guy's really smart. We're going to have to go back and listen to him some more. Whosoever means whosoever. It means anyone, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. While talking to an adulterous woman in John chapter 14 and verse number 14, disciples were, were, uh, were, gobsmacked when they came back and find Jesus talking to this woman. But in John 14, 14, Jesus said, here it is again. He says, whosoever. There it is. He says, even you, even you, you're on your fifth husband now. Everybody knows what you've done. But he says, whosoever will drink of the water that I'm going to give. Notice what he says. Of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into there it is again, Webster's Dictionary, providing for us another great thought, eternal life, everlasting life. Oh, my gracious friends, all you have to do, do yourself a favor, go through Scripture and just find all the whosoever's. Now, I want to caution you, because there's a lot of whosoever that will remind you of your own sinfulness and my sinfulness, Right? But there's so many great whosoever's in Scripture. I referenced one just a minute ago in Romans 10:13 and Acts chapter 2 and verse number 21. Both of them confirm that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Revelation 22:17, 17, God wants to make it abundantly clear. For If you don't know, the Bible concludes that Revelation 22, verse 21 so just a few verses before the final amen of Scripture, God says these words in verse number 17 by saying, Whosoever, He's basically saying if you're spiritually thirsty, whosoever can come and take up the water of life. And notice what He says. He says you got to pay the pastor $10,000. He says uh, you got to belong to the Baptist church. You got to belong to the Presbyterian Church. You got to belong to the Methodist Church. You got to do. No, he doesn't say that. It says, Whosoever will, there's the word again, will, let him take up the water of life. Whew, I'm so thankful it's free. I'm so thankful that there's nothing I can do to buy my forgiveness. There's nothing that I can do to earn my forgiveness. I'm just thankful that God said, I love you so much that I'm going to take care of it for you. And that's exactly what He has done. And so if you've never trusted Christ, I pray that you'll do that today. You see, the invitation to individually receive God's love and power is available to everyone and it's always available to all the whosoevers of all time. Whosoever means whosoever. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, do it today. Ask Him to forgive you, to come into your life, and to change you from the inside out. And if you're here today, and you say, I'm a follower of Christ, then I would remind you that you just said, I'm a follower of Christ. You see, you might be here today and say you're a follower of Christ or you're a believer, but you know, you know in your heart of hearts, when you ask honest questions, the heart gives honest answers. You know in your heart of hearts whether you're where you need to be spiritually or not. Cleansing the temple. You see, in order for the temple, for you and I to be right, we must rid ourselves of the pollution that sometimes plagues us. And by the way, as was referenced in our prayer prayer just before we began, I don't rid myself of pollution. God can rid me of pollution. Lest we think that we get all puffed up and think that we can do something on our own. It's only Jesus that can take care of this. Two weeks ago, if you remember a couple weeks ago, I was talking to you about the process of discipleship. And in that message, I shared how Jesus had told his disciples in Mark chapter 8, in verse number 34, notice what he said to them. He said, whosoever, there it is again. Boy, oh boy, it's all throughout scripture. He said, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Oddly enough, That word and phrase, whosoever will, once again provides an invitation, but it also provides some incredibly important instruction for us. So I'm going to ask two questions, and then we'll close. And they're very honest questions. And I want you to ask these questions of yourself. If you need to write them down, write them down. might be good to ask yourself every day. Number one question, do I have a pollution problem? Not does my wife have a pollution problem, not do my children have pollution problems or my brother or my sister or my aunt or my uncle or my granddaddy or my grandma or my coworker, or my boss. But do I have a pollution problem? You see, in Matthew chapter 21, when Jesus came into the temple, it was a house of pollution. And so he does exactly what he needs to do to clear out the pollution. He cast out all of those people who were serving sin and self. I think about also as was referenced actually in the prayer. It's a God thing when it's referenced in the prayer. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1 begins by asking the question whether or not you and I should continue in sin so that God's grace could abound. And if you go on reading in Romans chapter 6, verse number 2, Paul answers the question by saying, God forbid. He says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He says, listen, When we die to self, when we give our lives to Christ, how can we go about living in the sin that we just said we're dead to? He says, God forbid. And I wonder, as was put in the scripture reading and just before we sang, the blood will never lose its power. What if, just think about this, this is a crazy question. I'm thankful it doesn't have to be this way. But what if Christ had to die every time we sinned? That's a sobering thought. If He had to die on the cross, every time we sinned. Oh, my friends, looking back at those in the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus, when He went in, He said, Guys, sin cannot abound in this holy place. It must be cast out. That's why He turned over the tables. That's why He cast them out. That's why He got rid of them out of the temple. And if we were to drop down in Romans chapter 6 a little bit further, in verses number 12, And following, the Bible says this, it says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Goes on in verse 13, neither yield your members as instruments. Remember this phrase, utensils or tools. Neither yield yourselves as your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law anymore, but you're under grace. And see, this is where we make the... uh, I love grace, but if we're not careful, we, we get so far on the grace side that we don't think we have any responsibility. Listen, you're not under the law, but you're under the grace, but... Like I've said before, when we did a study of Galatians, you are and I am as believers, we are under a new law. It's called the law of love. It's the law of grace, but it's Jesus' law of love that says, listen, go out and love one another. And if you do this, everybody's going to know that you actually belong to me. They're going to know that you're my disciples. If, it's a big if, if you have love for one another. What a quiet day it is. In this room, the ameners, no amening. You see, sadly, here's here's the thing. Sadly, we become weak. We become weak when we allow sin to reign in our bodies. We become weak. We think that we're strong. We try to handle things according to our own power, according to our own thoughts, according to our own ways. But when we allow sin to permeate and to absorb and to... Uh, uh, to take control of our lives, we become weak. Which according to Scripture, after Jesus Christ comes in, the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. We're not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Two verses later in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 16, Paul reveals that we actually become the servants of sin. We become the servants of sin. We become the servants of whoever and whatever we obey, essentially. I think about, and I referenced it there, but what it is actually is it's Jesus who says this in John chapter 8, in verse number 34. Here, you see the word again, he says, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. So Paul says, hey, you become a servant of whatever and whoever you obey. And then Jesus in John chapter 8 and verse number 34, he says, guess what? If you commit sin, you're actually the servant of sin. You see, that's what sin does. Those that have been around Battlefield, you've heard this many times. That's what sin does. It takes us further than we want to go, keeps us longer than we want to stay. And in the end, it costs us way more than we're willing to pay. It's true. Well, I can get away with it. Let me, let me help you out. No, you can't. I, I just, I, pastor, you just don't know. It's so hard. I was talking to a gentleman. I'll now tell you who the gentleman was. And, uh, he was, he was sharing with me. He's from a different church, a different background and whole different theological set of beliefs. And, and he, he wanted to let me know, he says, I, I gave up wine for Lent. And about two seconds after he said he gave up wine for Lent, he says, Boy, is it hard. Little dabble, do you? No. You're not built for that. You're built to bring God honor and glory oh, is this a message on drinking? No, but if it applies, you can apply it. (laughs) Is this a message on addictions? No, but if it applies, you can apply. See, the question is, is there any pollution inside of me that needs to be cleared out? Those in the temple back in Jerusalem had become servants to the sinful practices, and Jesus essentially saying, enough already! Enough! Didn't I already come back here three years ago and take care of this? And now i got to take care of it again? You know, I believe he's saying the same thing today. If you think back in the Old Testament, although he, to be honest, he didn't take care of it when he needed to. If you go back to Psalm 51, when uh, David finally acknowledges his sin with Bathsheba, in Psalm 51, you can read the, uh, the, the Psalm 32 as well, where Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are kind of uh, pictures of what David was going through uh, while struggling with this sin with Bathsheba. In Psalm 51, notice what he says in verses 1 and following. He says this, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God. I love the beginning of this prayer, so to speak, because David basically says, God, give me what I don't deserve. I don't deserve it, but God, would you show me some mercy again? He says, have mercy upon me according to your loving kindness, according unto your multitude of tender mercies. And then he goes on, he says, blot out my transgressions. Wash me truly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And then David says this, he said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Sometimes I'm afraid that we try to fool God. We're like, I can fool God. And we do another thing too, don't we? We try to fool the ones we love. We try to hide it. We try to hide our own little personal sins from our husbands. We try to hide our own personal sins from our wife. Kids, you do it too. You say, how did you know? Because I once was a kid. We try to hide it from one another. We try to hide it from God. But friends, the word of God is pretty clear. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Listen, God's not going to show up in your life and in my life and unleash His power if we are unwilling to acknowledge our own sinfulness. By the way, you think about those people that Jesus threw out of the temple in verse number 12. If you look back, all these, these ones who were selling doves and the money changers and on and on, had all of those guys truly desired to be the servants of God rather than the servants of sin, they could have immediately... They could have immediately turned around and recognized, repented of their sin and returned to the temple. Jesus wasn't throwing them out. He was getting rid of the sin out of his temple. You see, that's why we always have to remember to love the sinner, hate the sin. Just keep, you say, well, how, how, how long should I love this person? How long should I forgive them? Just keep on doing it. This person gets on my nerves. You know what? I'm going to be real gentle. You might get on their nerves. You don't know. Just keep on loving them. Keep on sharing the love of Jesus with them. Listen, what I see here is that their appetite was not for the things of God. Their appetite was for the things of man because we have no record of these people coming back into the temple. But in verse number 14, notice, look at your Bible. Verse number 14, Scripture tells us that as soon as the temple had been cleansed of its pollution... In verse number 14, it says that the blind and the lame came to Jesus and He healed Him. The ones who were sincere in their need, the ones who were sincere in their worship, as soon as all the filth got out, they came to Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus did what He always does. He just kept on healing. See, they could have been a part of that celebration, but they weren't. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 6, it was Jesus who said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. Oh, my friends, Jesus still works in the hearts and lives of those who seek Him. He still works in the hearts and lives of those who are sincerely committed to the things of God rather than to the things of this world and the things of self. And so the first question is, do I have a pollution problem? And the last very brief question is this. Number two, am I willing to purge? You see, when Jesus went into the temple, He found the pollution and He purged it. And so if you and I know in our heart of hearts, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, if you know right now, and you don't even have to raise your hand, look at me, stand, say, oh my, or oh me, you don't have to do any of that. But if you know that you got a little bit of pollution that needs to be cleaned out, you got a little bit of dust, a little bit of cobwebs in your spiritual corner, then you know what you need to do? You need to get some 409 and purge it out. You need Jesus to purge it out. Three years earlier, I started to make reference to this a minute ago. In John chapter 2, Jesus had used a scourge of small cords as an emblem of His authority. And He went in and He cleared out the sinfulness that was in the temple at that time. But this time, He uses a look. He uses a frown. He uses a word of command to do the very same thing. He says, you got to get out. You got to get out of this place because my house should be called a house of prayer and it can't be called a house of prayer if there's pollution uh running rampant in my house. Hello? We're not going to be a house of prayer if we got pollution running rampant within our temple of the Holy Ghost. Turn with me to back to Psalm 51. I know I read the first few verses a second ago, but I want you to see this. In Psalm 51, I want you to see what the purging process really looks like. You say, hey, am I polluted? You ask that question, do I have a pollution problem? But number two, probably the most important, is am I willing to purge? Am I willing to uh, acknowledge my sinfulness like David? Am I willing to deal with my sinfulness? Because the reality is, you could say no. You could be listening to me right now at home or here, and you'd be like, listen. I hear what he's saying. Yes, I have a pollution problem, but I am just not going to deal with it. I'm embarrassed. How dare I let people see me dealing with sin? Really? We're not to fear man. We ought to be in awe and reverence of what God can do, not what man can do. Look at what David says here. There's a process of purging. And look at verse number seven, because he starts with that very word. In verse number seven, he says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. In my Bible, this is a little fun fact for you. I have underlined every word, everywhere where it says me, I, my, all those personal pronouns. Notice, I've done that as a, as a, as a, uh, as, as a process for me to see all that God is saying Hear all that David is saying to God. Watch, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be cleaned. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness. You see, when when you're allowing sin and pollution to run rampant in your life, you can't even hear joy and gladness. He says, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. And you can read more about how David felt his bones felt. In Psalm 32. In verse number nine, he says, Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. And then notice what David says. He says, Then He says, then will I teach transgressors thy way and sinners shall be converted unto thee. He says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. Verse 15, O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering, but the sacrifices of God. Notice what he says, are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. If you go back up to verse number 10, if we could very quickly, David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. This is what, now watch this, this is what David was saying. David was known as a man after God's own heart. But in this verse, David is saying, God, it's not enough. It's not enough to go to the mechanic and get a tune-up. God, I need you to be a heart surgeon. I need you to cut out my wicked heart. I need you to give me a heart transplant. I need you to renew a right spirit in me. Maybe you're here today. You say, I got some pollution. It's been running rampant. And I need to take care of it. Listen, Palm Sunday's coming. We want to be able to worship. We want to be able to celebrate. What God, listen, we ought to want to do that every day. But as we gather for Palm Sunday and Easter and we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, we need to deal with the pollution now. That's why Jesus dealt with it when he first goes into Jerusalem. You remember, he goes into Jerusalem, then he goes away with his disciples and he's teaching them in John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, before he comes back and is betrayed. We got to deal with the cleansing of the temple now. 1 John 1 and verse number 9, the Bible says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. There's the word again, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Oh, my friends, once we are saved, we need to remember, just as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we are new creations in Christ. We are now Christ's ambassadors. We are His representatives to the world, if you please. Therefore, if By the way, if you're representing God, do you think it matters how you live your life? As his representative, do you think it matters, not to me, but to him, how we live our life? Which is why I believe we must be walking daily, hand in hand with the Lord. Can I tell you this? Some days it'll be a struggle. Has anybody ever been there? Or just me? Am I the only sinful one in the room? (laughs) Some days, do you get up? It's just a struggle. You want to do what you want to do. I know we got some super Christians in here. You never have this problem. But there's days in this guy's life, I just don't feel like walking with the Lord. Can I be honest? I just don't feel like it. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, fine. You know what? In the moments when I start telling myself I don't feel like it, you know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded that God's probably saying, "Well, I didn't feel like dying on a cross." I didn't feel like I didn't feel like being spit on. I didn't feel like I didn't feel like them nailing me to a cross. I didn't feel like having those people question me all the time when all I did was come to show them my love. Friends, purging sometimes is not a fun process. See, because if we're really honest, what we probably have to purge It's probably those little itty-bitty habits that we've thought we've gotten away with for a long time. And those little itty-bitty habits, you know they're like lies. They grow up to be big habits. They grow up to be big lies. Am I willing to purge? Are you willing to purge? Look back at our text and I'll close. Verse 15 of our text reminds us that when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, and then they also saw the children, (laughs) love the children, they're crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Then the the religious right crowd, they got displeased, the Bible says. And in verse 16, they said unto him, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, I hear what they're saying. He says, by the way, have you never read Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. And then the Bible says that he left them in verse number 17 and went out of the city into Bethany and he lodged there. It's amazing to me to think about how quickly the climate, now watch this, how quickly the climate in the temple changed after Jesus purged the pollution in the temple. He purges the pollution. Here come the blind and the lame. They get healed immediately. The children start praising God for what's going on. They're like, Hosanna in the highest. The religious right are like, they're getting angry. They're like, oh, why were they getting angry? Because people were celebrating what God was doing rather than what they were doing. They get angry. But the climate has changed. You see, because as soon as the pollution has moved, the temple became a house of prayer. Just like Jesus said, He said, my house shall be a house of prayer. The temple became a house of purity. You see, the lame and the blind, they came to Jesus to worship Him in spirit and truth, and Jesus healed them. And then the temple also became a house of praise. And it made the Pharisees mad. You know God's house ought to be a house of praise. My mother-in-law used to sing this song. She sings a lot of songs. (laughs) Y'all need to pray for me. (laughs) But I remember when I first married Krista, I I remember that we were at her house, and uh, Sunday morning at grandmother's house, you're going to get up and worship Jesus. I'm just telling you. I don't care how old or how smart you think you are, you're getting up and you're going to worship Jesus. And so I remember... Like one of the first occasions, you know, new son-in-law in my wife's old bedroom. All of a sudden, I hear out in the hall, rise and shine and give God the glory, glory, rise and shine, give God the glory, glory, rise and shine, and give God the glory. And I was like, what is going on in this house? And I'm sure that my wife said, oh, she's got a lot of songs. You might as well just get used to them. Every morning, and I use that as an example because my, my mother-in-law's right. Every morning, we ought to rise and shine and give God the glory. Every morning, if there's pollution, we ought to be the ones on our knees. The first thing, say, God, purge it. Get it out of me. Get it out of me. Creating me a new heart. Renew a right spirit within me. God, work in me today. Let me be your conduit. Let me be your representative. Let me be your ambassador to a lost in a dark world. That's what our prayer should be. Instead of walking around struggling with pollution. Someone much smarter than I once said this, said if you're struggling with your prayer life, it's most likely because you're struggling with your polluted life. If you're struggling with your prayer life, it's most likely because you're struggling with your polluted life. When God works, just like those little children, when God works, our praise should be automatic. It should be automatic. That ought to excite more than two people. Has God ever worked in your life? Anybody? If God hadn't worked in your life, then I would encourage you to make sure you know that God is working in your life. I put down, if there's no power in your life, there's no prayer. Because when the prayers go up, the power comes down. That's when the Holy Ghost of Heaven starts to move around. When we elevate our prayers, the power comes down. So when there's no power in your life, there's no prayer. If there's no prayer in your life, then there's most likely no purity. If there's no purity in your life, then there has definitely been no purging. And if there has been no purging in your life, the reality is that you're probably not really concerned whether or not you're polluted. Oh, my friends, if you're an unbeliever today, please know this, God loves you. He wants to save you. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Don't put off till tomorrow what God says do today. Call out upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin. Ask Jesus to be your Savior. If you're a Christian here today, maybe you would be honest with yourself. Two questions. Am I polluted and am I willing to purge? If you've got a little pollution running around in that heart of hearts of yours or in that mind or wherever it's at, I want to encourage you to do what David did. Say, God purge me. God wash me. Reestablish my hearing that I can hear joy and that I can hear gladness. God, hide your face. Blot out my transgressions. Remove all my iniquities. Create a clean heart in me. Renew a right spirit in me. And then, God, would you restore the joy of my salvation today? It's time to cleanse the temple. But here's the catch. you got to be willing. you got to be willing to purge. If you don't know Him, trust Him. If you know him and you know that there's pollution, I'm going to beg you to do something today. I'm not going to ask for hands. I'm not going to ask for anything. There's plenty of place in this in this room. Whether you kneel at where you're at, if you're able, sit in your chair or whatever, we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. But I'm going to open up the altar so that us as a body of believers, we can do business with God today and ask God, cleanse the temple. Cleanse the temple. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the time that we've had in Your Word, God, I just pray that You will be with this time of invitation that will not be concerned with what this one or that one thinks, but God, will be concerned with what You think. God, as we deal with our our spiritual well-being, Lord, I pray that You will hear our prayers. God, that You will intervene just as You did, as I saw in this passage. Lord, that You would cleanse the temple God, that we might be the men and women, the young people that You've called us to be. God, that You might be honored and glorified through that. Lord, I pray now that we'll be honest with You and You will hear our prayers and take care of the purging process for us. Lord, we love You. We are thankful for You. And we look forward with great anticipation to what You'll do in the coming days. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus and for his sake, amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.